Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Joining us now is David Page, AXA Investment Manager's Head of Macro Research. David, does that resonate with you, sir, that we could see a broadening in price pressures going into next year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the key debate that every central bank has to sort of focus on. How persistent is this supply shock? There's no question there's a supply shock at the moment, and we're going to see it in Q3 GDP numbers, we think, in the States when they come through. But the question is, how persistent? So for now, we've had the view, and we share this view, that, that we are seeing a relatively transitory supply restraint. So if you look at, for example, participation, it's been very lackluster in recent months. Um, we do expect that to pick up. I think part of this is just a natural indigestion. I don't buy too much that it's, um, it's due to unemployment benefits. Certainly in states where we've seen that drop back, we haven't seen a miraculous recovery in labor supply. But I think there is a natural indigestion, and I think that indigestion should fade as we move into the fourth quarter. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't fade, then you are seeing a more restricted background. You are going to see earnings continue at the sort of relatively elevated monthly pace that we, we see at the moment. And that's something the Fed has to take account of. Effectively, what you're suggesting or what, what it would conclude is that you're seeing a bigger supply shock from this pandemic. Now, that might be because, you know, the workers that we're looking for post-pandemic are different to the ones that were employed pre-pandemic and there's a skills mismatch. There could be all sorts of issues. We don't think that's what's going to happen, but that's what we're going to see over the next couple of months. And the Fed will have to react if it, if it, if it changes that, yeah. that transitory outlook. David, you and everybody else is lowering the GDP estimates. You've got 5.7% now and into next year, 4.3%. Is that a linear extrapolation down to potential GDP? Um, no, because I think the potential GDP adjustment that's going to come through um, is a long-term figure, right? So it is a linear extrapolation of the supply shock that we see coming through in the third quarter. We do think that, that that's been an impact. Right. But I don't think it's something that we should therefore extrapolate going forever forwards. We would still see US GDP potential growth you know, in the fullness of time at somewhere around 2%. So I don't think that that's too much of a concern. But in terms of the supply-demand imbalance, which is critical for the sort of inflation pressures, then, yeah, I mean, I think it is that supply has reduced rather than the drop-off in demand. David, investment manager after investment manager has come on this show and said that right now the dynamism of the U.S. economy has been pretty much priced in and it's time to turn to, uh, to Europe and potentially even to Asia for equity exposure. Do you agree? Well, I think the U.S. the U.S. rebound has been remarkable. It's got to the point where we are closing the output gap. We're looking at a very strong growth for year next year um, that's going to continue um, this, this excess demand. And I think there's still strength in the U.S. market now. You know, we can talk for all your life about whether we see corrections coming up over the next little while. Um, but no, I think, you know, in general, the U.S. equity market is going to remain relatively well underpinned. But in terms of should we switch from a sort of growth model, which is obviously something the U.S. You know, really exemplifies, um, or a more value-driven equity um, performance, which is perhaps something where Europe will do better, then I think as we start to see real yields pick up towards year-end, we should start to move more into that, that value area. So I think there is scope, certainly, for more of a pickup to come through from Europe. 
But David, we're not let's wrap things concerned. up with the Fed timeline if we can. In the time we have left, we're pushed against the clock here. What are you looking for into the September the 22nd meeting and beyond? December gets really interesting. The 15th is the Fed. The 16th is the ECB. So I think as you look at September, they clear the decks and suggest that at any point they could announce paper. They won't do it in September, I don't think. They won't do it at the end of October. I think they'll announce in December and tapering will start in January. Uh, and there's a debate about whether it comes a little bit quicker than that. But yeah, you're right. With, with the Fed likely to announce paper in December, with the ECB um, clearly lining up a big set of policy moves at that time, December's going to, the year end is going to be an interesting one for the monetary policy outlook. David, thank you. Good to hear from you, as always. Enjoy Pleasure. the weekend, sir. David Page, AXA Investment Manager's Head of Macro Research. Right now, watching all this is Ann Maletti in value at Wells Fargo Asset Management uh, in active equity as well. And on the banking industry right now, on the big banks, on the super regionals, is there value there? As Shanali mentioned, they're dealing with a digital onslaught. Do you find value in the big banks? I think our investment teams, Tom, really do see value in the long run for the big banks. Um, but as you know, they're tied to rates. And um, so as you see rates rise, the banks will benefit. They've also benefit from some of the lending, um, as you guys talked about earlier. But they are still attractive from a valuation standpoint. The secular challenges that the banks have, though, are going to continue. So I think you have to be selective as an investor. Well, can we talk about who they're competing with now? And they're not competing with each other anymore, are they? They're increasingly competing with others outside of their industry, their traditional industry. That's right. They are. And I think, you know, in the past, people worried about credit cards, but the credit cards were always linked to banks um, and benefited. The new technology, even Bitcoin itself, how does that change the future of banking, both here and abroad, globally? So um, I think those are all the things that investors have to think about. And, you know, Look, I haven't had time to really look into these changes at Bank of America, but any bank that's thinking about the future is thinking about the right things and making changes directed toward that. And as an investor, this raises an issue of bold moves. Do you want to see banks making bold moves, using some of their cash maybe to make acquisitions of smaller tech firms to try to adapt to the new normal in banking? Is that something you would reward? Again, it depends on the individual company because when our investment teams are looking at companies, they're looking at what does their balance sheet look like? What has been their growth rate? And then, you know, sometimes you want to see a measured response, both thinking about current business conditions and the business you have at hand, but investing for that growth over a long period of time. You don't want to dis you don't want to lose the customers you have today or the business you have today on your way to the future. So most of the time it's measured, especially for mature industries. But there are times where you have to accelerate, especially a piece of the business. And as you pointed out, the banks have gotten very far behind in technology. They have outsourced a lot of it to make it easy for you and I as consumers. Yeah. Um, not that surprising, though, coming out of 08, 09, um, the financial crisis, 
all of the other things they had to focus on. Right now, it seems like the banks are trading in a bucket of cyclicals. The banks are trading alongside airlines and other reopening stocks as people look toward the post-pandemic reality. I'd love to get your sense on something that we saw yesterday, uh, where when we see data or information that puts a damper on this narrative, like airlines coming out and downgrading their expectations, you saw the shares rally significantly and lead the charge. What do you make of that? Is this basically the appropriate response from investors like yourself? I think what the market is finally recognizing is something that we've been talking about for a long time. Don't pick growth or value or don't pick the market, you know, the economy opening or back on shutdown. You have to have a collection of both. And it's because the growth rates in some of these cyclical companies are the strongest of any industry. And it's not surprising. Um, I think there's also a lot of demand and pent up demand as you all talk about. And so you see things like, yes, fears of the Delta variant, but also a greater proportion of the population getting vaccinated. And so we're at the tipping point where things are gonna get better and investors are always forward looking at what's going to change. And always enjoy catching up with you. Thanks for being with us. I'm Melody there, Wells Fargo Asset Management, head of Aquid Equity. Right now on bonds and U.S. rates, Sabradra Rajapa joins us with Society uh, General. Sabradra, wonderful to have you on. And I just want to go to one phrase within your good research note, which is overwhelming demand. What is the why of overwhelming demand for bills, notes, and bonds? There's just a lot of cash in the sidelines, right? I mean, this was a, a week where we got spectacular amounts of of uh, supply, not just in treasuries, but also in corporate bonds. And yet everything was absorbed well by the markets. You have over a trillion dollars that the uh, that's parked with the Fed's overnight RRP program. There's just a lot of cash to be put to work. And policy, for the most part, looks like it's going to be somewhat benign. There's no fears of taper, yeah. uh, either from the ECB or the, U or the, uh, the, the Fed. So broadly speaking, I think that the market participants feel very comfortable putting money to work here. Which duration is most attractive? Which duration has the silliest demand? Well, I think you're seeing demand pretty much across the curve. I mean, the front end is a little bit distorted because bill supply is going down as we head into the debt ceiling uh, debate. But broadly speaking, across the curve, you know, three cents, 30s, we've seen very, very strong demand from end investors. I mean, you're seeing demand from pensions and insurance companies for the very long end. The intermediate sector, the 10-year bond as well, we saw very good end investor demand. So I think that there's just a lot of work, cash to be put to work. Equities are at all-time highs. It's possible that you're seeing some of these asset liability managers put some money uh, into bonds as well uh, as a diversification. Going forward, what is the signal from Treasury yields where they are at a time of such supply? Is it just people looking only in the next couple of days and weeks, or is it a statement about low growth going ahead? Um, I think we're really waiting on, on central bank policy. I think we're looking for a you know, clear sign that we've made substantial further progress on employment so that the Fed can start tapering asset purchases. But I would say that in my conversations, the preoccupation is much more on the inflation side and whether the Fed 
can and will raise rates sooner than the market expects. So we just don't have enough clarity. So the bond market feels a little bit like a deer caught in the headlights, waiting for more information before we could reprice higher. Although the information that we have, that the Fed is going to wait for a very long time and probably much longer than they have ever before, before raising rates, before uh, tightening policy in any way. We are seeing inflation. We just got that PPI data that came in, uh, you know, pretty much in line with estimates, but the highest going back a decade. We've gotten this idea that wages are going up. At one point, will inflation call the Fed's hand and actually slow down growth while uh, crimping a lot of the economic activity that corporations depend on? So that's a very good question, Lisa. And I think that we just don't have enough data yet uh, for to, to make that assessment. But you're right. I mean, to me, what's really concerning is the areas of inflation, especially things like rents, medical, medical care costs, wages, uh, and supply chain disruptions. These all tend to be somewhat sticky, and that could lead to a persistence of, of inflation, which I think is an underpriced uh, risk in the market. We just don't have enough data to corroborate that. I think what we're getting so far anecdotally from CEOs, even the beige book, shows that there are a lot of supply chain disruptions and, and, and uh, you know, corporations not being able to source uh, materials. But we just have to see more data points before we can see what the impact will be on and the feed through to the consumer. And Subhadra, you said that it's not being priced into the market. Which markets? Is it just the rates market that yields should be higher or is it in corporations that yields should be higher? And frankly, some of the uh, corporate bond uh, premiums or spreads should also be higher. So I think it's in all markets, right? Even equities don't seem to be that concerned about the rise in potential for a persistence of inflation or a rise in inflation. I think the bond market has break-evens, 10-year break-evens, anywhere between 225 and 250. So again, longer-term inflation expectations are, are, are quite high, but not out of control. But, you know, going forward, the, the question is how persistent this inflation will be. And when there's evidence that, that there's persistence of inflation, you'll see all of these markets react very, very quickly. You'll see a rise in break-evens. You'll see that also reflected in the equity market. We're just not there yet. We're not there yet. Give us a 10-year call out 12 months. I mean, I'm absolutely fascinated. Are you, are you in the range or are you outside the range? Um, we are thinking that a year from now, we just published our forecast yesterday, we'll be somewhere between 2 and 2.25. Um, wow. Again, I think that this is, wow. we're, we're on the high side because we think that, uh, you know, the market's underpricing these, these risks. And also, uh, you know, 10-year yields could gradually rise from, from here on if, if fundamentals start to improve. I think that there's a lot of pessimism on Delta, Delta variants as well as a lot of pessimism on the slowdown in, in growth. So once we get through that wall of worry, I think that there's a trajectory towards higher yields from here on. I, I look so broad at it, it, the demands of the market and you know, it's just simple, we're clipping a coupon. Is anybody with that call on yield managing for total return? I don't think so. Yeah, so I think that the real risk in the bond market, I think that is, that is the fact that people aren't really focused on, on real returns, right? You look at 10-year real yields, they're at negative 1%. Even if you look at high yield, if, you, if inflation is going to be in the context of 4 to 5% for the next several months, you're not getting very strong, you know, negative, I mean, real returns. So that has to be a concern for anybody that's holding bonds. And that's not, again, a concern that's reflected in the, in the market, given the fact that yields are stubbornly low. I think that that repricing has to happen over the next year. Where on the calendar, Sabantra, do you think the Fed starts to worry they've got it wrong? 
Uh, I would say probably sometime early next year, if these uh, inflation prints that we're seeing, the high inflation prints that we're seeing persist, I think that that's definitely going to be a concern. And the Fed's actually being very, very prudent. What they're doing is preparing for that now. I think that they start tapering asset purchases early next year. They probably end by the middle of the year so that they can start raising rates if they need to in the second half of next year. So they're prepared for that scenario, but they're just not expressing that concern as of now. How they manage that message, if they have to, will be fascinating. Sabandra, thank you. Sabandra Jappi there of SockGen, the head of U.S. rate strategy. Joining us now is David Page, AXA Investment Manager's Head of Macro Research. David, does that resonate with you, sir, that we could see a broadening in price pressures going into next year? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the key debate that every central bank has to sort of focus on. How persistent is this supply shock? There's no question there's a supply shock at the moment, and we're going to see it in Q3 GDP numbers, we think, in the States when they come through. But the question is, how persistent? So for now, we've had the view, and we share this view, that, that we are seeing a relatively transitory supply restraint. So if you look at, for example, participation, it's been very lackluster in recent months. Um, we do expect that to pick up. I think part of this is just a natural indigestion. I don't buy too much that it's, um, it's due to unemployment benefits. Certainly in states where we've seen that drop back, we haven't seen a miraculous recovery in labor supply. But I think there is a natural indigestion, and I think that indigestion should fade as we move into the fourth quarter. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't fade, then you are seeing a more restricted background. You are going to see earnings continue at the sort of relatively elevated monthly pace that we, we see at the moment. And that's something the Fed has to take account of. Effectively, what you're suggesting or what, what it would conclude is that you're seeing a bigger supply shock from this pandemic. Now, that might be because you know, the workers that we're looking for post-pandemic are different to the ones that were employed pre-pandemic and there's a skills mismatch. There could be all sorts of issues. We don't think that's what's going to happen, but that's what we're going to see over the next couple of months. And the Fed will have to react if it, if it, if it changes that, yeah. that transitory outlook. David, you and everybody else is lowering their GDP estimates. You've got 5.7% now and into next year, 4.3%. Is that a linear extrapolation down to potential GDP? Um, no, because I think the potential GDP adjustment that's going to come through um, is a long-term figure, right? So it is a linear extrapolation of the supply shock that we see coming through in the third quarter. We do think that, that that's been an impact. Right. But I don't think it's something that we should therefore extrapolate going forever forwards. We would still see US GDP potential growth you know, in the fullness of time at somewhere around 2%. So I don't think that that's too much of a concern. But in terms of the supply-demand imbalance, which is critical for the sort of inflation pressures, then, yeah, I mean, I think it is that supply has reduced rather than the drop-off in demand. David, investment manager after investment manager has come on this show and said that right now the dynamism of the U.S. economy has been pretty much priced in and it's time to turn to, uh, to Europe and potentially even to Asia for equity exposure. Do you agree? Well, I think the U.S. the U.S. rebound has been remarkable. It's got to the point where we are closing the output gap. We're looking at a very strong growth for year next year um, that's going to continue um, this, this excess demand. And I think there's still strength in the U.S. market now. You know, we can talk for all you like about whether we see corrections coming up over the next little while. Um, but no, I think, you know, in general, the U.S. equity market is going to remain relatively well underpinned. But in terms of should we switch from a sort of growth model, which is obviously something the U.S. You know, really exemplifies, 
um, or a more value-driven equity um, performance, which is perhaps something where Europe will do better, then I think as we start to see real yields pick up towards year end, we should start to move more into that, that value area. So I think there is scope, certainly, for more of a pickup to come through from Europe. But David, let's wrap things concerned. up with the Fed timeline, if we can, in the time we have left. We're pushed against the clock here. What are you looking for into the September, the 22nd meeting and beyond? December gets really interesting. The 15th is the Fed. The 16th is the ECB. So I think as you look at September, they clear the decks and suggest that at any point they could announce paper. They won't do it in September, I don't think. They won't do it at the end of October. I think they'll announce in December and tapering will start in January. Uh, and there's a debate about whether it comes a little bit quicker than that. But yeah, you're right, with, with the Fed likely to announce paper in December, with the ECB um, clearly lining up a big set of policy moves at that time, December's going to, the year end is going to be an interesting one for the monetary policy outlook. David, thank you. Good to hear from you, as always. Enjoy Pleasure. the weekend, sir. David Page, Axter Investment Manager's Head of Macro Research. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.